0: Seeking the Lord's help and blessing, let us turn again to the portion of scripture that we read together in the prophecy of Isaiah, and chapter 53, and we'll read at the beginning. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the Adam of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah was the son of Amos, who is not to be confused with Amos, uh, the prophet. The Jewish tradition uh, maintained that he was born into nobility and mixed freely with royalty. He is said to be a brother of King Amaziah and so a cousin of King Uzziah. Again, Jewish tradition says that he was born into two during the reign of King Manasseh. Little is known about his personal history, but that he received his call to the prophetic office uh, in the year that King Uzziah died. We find that in chapter 6 of this prophecy. That was nearly 200 years after the death of uh, King Solomon. And uh, some 20 years after, Assyria had invaded and conquered the 10 northern tribes that was known as the nation of uh, Israel. So that Israel had by this time gone into uh, captivity. His contemporaries in the prophetic office was Hosea and Micah. Now, Isaiah witnessed the final years of uh, Israel's spiritual decline or Judah's spiritual decline and the other disaster that followed when they were taken into uh, the Babylonian uh, captivity. And God called him to warn that tiny nation of Judah and its capital about a similar outcome that would come upon them The same as came upon the northern tribes or the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. So God sent Isaiah and Hosea and Micah to warn uh, the people that the same would happen to them if they did not repent. The same would happen to them as happened to Israel. Now Isaiah, like the other prophets, was commissioned to bring the Lord's word in order to warn the people. But his ministry was not an easy ministry at all. His message was unpopular uh, with the people and not many listened. Uh, Although he continued to preach to the people to repent and to turn to God, the people did not take him seriously. Isaiah was called by God at a time, when he was about to bring judgment on his people because of their sins. A judgment that was fulfilled, as we have already noted, in the Babylonian uh, captivity. He was commissioned by God to stress to the people the message of divine judgment because of their sins. But he was also told that the people would reject his message. He was told to go forth with this message and he was told that the people would reject the message that he gave. Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. I say, it was told that they would reject his message, that his message would actually harden the heart of the people. Now, Isaiah was no stoic. He would have been affected by the rejection of his message. He would have felt in his heart the disappointment as he longed for his listeners to receive God's mercy. Nevertheless, in spite of all that, he remained faithful and he continued to give the message that God had given to him. Now this was not true of Isaiah alone. For instance, Jeremiah tells us how the rejection of the people towards his message affected him. In Jeremiah chapter 9 we have these words, O oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears. That I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Even more wonderful than that, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, even more wonderful is the fact that Jesus would also experience this strange spiritual dilemma. As we recall how he wept over Jerusalem, as Luke records for us in his Gospel. And when he, that is Jesus, drew near and saw the city, Visitation. So there then uh, we have uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah and even Jesus uh, who experienced this rejection of their uh, message. However, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Jesus would have been comforted in that they knew that they were obeying the will of God. Although the people would reject the message that they were giving. Yet this would be a great comfort to them, that they were obeying the will of God. That although Isaiah and other prophets were to proclaim God's judgment on the people because of their sin and because of their rebellious hearts, they were also commissioned to proclaim a great message about the coming Messiah and all the benefits that he would bring. Isaiah was aware, along with other prophets, that he was in fact serving a future generation of believers who would appreciate his message. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read these words. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired, and searched diligently. We prophesied of the grace that will come unto you, such in what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, for it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. And the glory that should uh, follow. So, here at the beginning of chapter 53, we have these words Who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, I say astonishment here is not confined to himself. Uh, we can honestly say that the echo of his cry is heard down through uh, the avenues of time to this present day, to this present evening, and shall be heard to the end. It is a cry that is uttered by every preacher of the gospel, who has believed what he has heard from us. Who has believed what he has heard uh, from us. And yet, although the people may not respond, and although people may reject the message that we give. Yet we have been commissioned by God to proclaim the message. To proclaim that God will judge our sins. And to proclaim that in his grace, in his mercy, in his compassion, in his love, that he has made provision whereby we can escape that judgment. Where we can escape the judgment that we deserve uh, because of our sins. And if we neglect this provision that he has made, if we neglect the salvation that God has worked out for sinners through his son, there is no way of escape. Remember how the writer to the Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In other words, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is, there is no way of escape if we neglect so great Uh, salvation. Now, for Isaiah, the people were going to reject his message. And there are many tonight throughout our land who rejects the message, the message that is brought to them by God, who rejects uh, the gospel, who rejects the message of the gospel, who sees no relevance at all uh, in regard to the gospel who sees no relevance at all in us gathering into a building like this in order to proclaim God's richest grace through Jesus Christ. They see no relevance whatsoever in preaching uh, the gospel. They reject the gospel. Nevertheless, it is our duty and being commissioned to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the truth uh, to uh, sinners. And here we find at the beginning of this chapter, who has believed what he has heard from us? Well, what report is this that Isaiah is speaking about? The report is about God's purpose for the salvation of sinners. That's what the gospel is about. That is what our report tonight is about. God's purpose for the salvation of of sinners, through the sufferings, through the death, through the exaltation of his servant, his own beloved son. Whenever God's word is proclaimed or read or given to us by whatever means, it is God communicating to us this report. God communicating to us this report. This report is not merely the words of a preacher. It's not merely the words of a man. And that is why we should respect the gospel. That's why we should respect the word of God. It is God communicating to us. The, we remember some of you well anyway, uh, Paul's famous words. That he was in Christ's stead. That is, he was in the place of Christ. And what was his message? To reconcile the world to God. The message of reconciliation. We are in Christ's stead, exhorting people to be reconciled to their God. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the report that we have to bring to you tonight. He has made his purpose of salvation known to us. Paul writing to the Ephesians says that God has made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. This is the place where our Christianity begins. Its beginning is not with this Or that experience. But it begins by accepting the truthfulness of this report. By accepting the truthfulness of the report. It draws us to the gospel. In order to know more and more. This is a place where so many people struggle. To accept the truthfulness of this a report. And that's where we must begin. We must accept the truthfulness of the report that God has given to us, contained in his word. So, how is it with yourself tonight? What is your relationship to the word of God? What is your relationship to the word of God? How do you stand with the word of God? Of God, Do you accept the truthfulness of the word of God? Do you accept the truthfulness of this report that God has given it to us? Who has believed what he has heard from us? Remember in the Gospel, uh, the gospel of Luke and chapter 16, There we have Abram's answer to the request of the rich man who was in hell. The rich man did not want his brothers to have to experience the pain that he had to endure and so he makes a plea. He makes a prayer. That's strange, is it not? A plea coming from hell. But that's what we have in Luke 16. A plea from hell. And But he he was shown that his plea was unnecessary because he didn't want his brothers to come to the same place of torment as he was found. And so he made a plea. He made a plea that somebody from the dead would come and, and, uh, and speak to his brothers. But he was shown that his plea was unnecessary. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they have the Old Testament. Let them hear them. The rich man's brothers already had the means of salvation. They had in their possession everything that they needed to escape the torment of hell. They had everything that was needed to get to heaven. They had Moses and the prophets. That is, they had the very word of God. If only they had believed. What the Bible said. If only they had accepted the truthfulness of the report that they had in the Word of God, it would be enough to save them. They would know the promises of God about the coming of salvation. They would know that they needed uh, the blood to atone for their sins. They would have known that Jesus was the Christ. It was all there in the Scriptures. All they needed was to believe it. Now, we notice there in in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 16, we noticed the rich man's objection. You know, he thought that the word was not enough without some kind of supernatural sign. So he said, but if someone goes to them from the dead, he says, they will repent. The word is not enough. There must be a supernatural sign. The rich man knew his brothers well enough to know that they did not believe the Bible any more than he did. But what if God showed them some sort of sign? What if a ghost came and preached them the gospel? Somebody from the dead came and preached to them the gospel. Surely then they would have to sit up and take notice. Wouldn't they? Well, the answer is, of course, no, they would not. On the contrary, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Oh, who has believed what he has heard from us? Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, For the word of the cross, that's the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. In fact, the message of the gospel is that one rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is the, the, the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ. And yet people will not believe. All oh, the word of the cross is folly, it is foolishness. To those who are perishing. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. Well, what is the cross to yourself tonight? This report that we have of a crucified and a risen Christ, what is your response to that message tonight? Do you see it as foolishness? Or is it to you the power of God? Is it to you the power of God? What is your response to this report? What is your response to the, to the word of God? What is your response to the gospel? And now, my friend, the solemnity of this is the fact that your response to the gospel determines, determines, determines your eternal destiny. That's how solemn it is. It determines your eternal destiny. Well, have you come to see and accept the truthfulness of this report? The truthfulness of the word of God? Have you come to accept the truthfulness of the gospel? However, although acceptance of the truth is the first essential requirement, There is more required than merely to accept the truthfulness of the report. The second element is obedience. To be obedient to the word of God. You may be sitting here tonight and you're saying to me, well, I do believe the truthfulness of the Bible. I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that there was a man Uh, uh, called Jesus Christ. I believe that he was the son of God. I believe that he performed miracles. I believe that he preached the parables. I believe that he went to the cross of Golgotha. I believe that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again. I believe that he has ended to heaven. I believe he is coming again. You believe the truthfulness of the word, but there you don't go beyond that point. And to be saved means you have to be obedient to the word of God. You have to be obedient to the truth of God. You have to be obedient to this report. You have to be obedient to the gospel. This is sometimes where people have a problem. They believe, as we noted, the truthfulness of the report. They believe the truthfulness of the Bible. They believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe that he died, was buried, rose again, and that he's going to return. But sadly, at that point, they stop. They don't go beyond that point. They don't exercise obedience to the Word of God that calls us to repent, to trust, to commit ourselves to God through Jesus Christ. They believe the truthfulness of the word. But never goes beyond that point. Is that yourself tonight? You are here and you believe what the Bible says. You believe what the preaching of the gospel says. You you believe that Jesus died, rose again, that he's going to come back. You believe all that. But you do not obey the word. You do not obey the command of God that says to you to commit yourself to Christ. For salvation. That salvation is in no other. But in Jesus Christ. The devil whispers. All that And says to you. All that is true. What the preacher says. Is true. What the report says. Is true. What the gospel says. Is true. But not for you. It's not for you. All that is true, but you have enough time to give all that serious consideration. Enough time. Today is not a convenient time. You have plenty of time to give that serious consideration. And the thing is that you agree with the devil. You agree that the gospel is for others, but not for you. You agree with the devil that you have plenty of time to give consideration to eternal issues. That you have plenty of time to think of your eternal destiny. You agree with him. Oh, who has believed what he has heard from us? Is the devil deceiving you tonight and seeing that the gospel is not for you? That it is for others. We noted in the morning a man who came earnestly looking for eternal life. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He was earnest in his plea, but there was his, his, uh, his wealth, his riches, his possessions. And he was not willing to give that up for salvation he wasn't not willing to give that up so that he would receive eternal life is there such a thing in your life that you're not willing to give up for salvation you know sometimes our own reasoning can get in the way we have a lesson to learn from peter's response as recorded for us again in the gospel of luke and chapter 5 where we read that after Jesus had stopped speaking or preaching, that he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Let us for a moment consider Peter's reaction to this command. And in the light of his reaction, let us consider your own reaction to the gospel. Let us see how our own reasoning can sometimes get in the way of accepting the report or be be obedient to the report. Peter was a professional fisherman. That was his living. So Peter replied, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Peter's own way of reasoning and wisdom was surfacing here. It was getting in the way. He was saying, but we are professional fishermen. Uh, and we know that it is during the night that we fish here on the Sea of Galilee and we have toiled all night, we have laboured all night and we have caught nothing. And you're telling us now to go and to uh, set, uh, to set uh, down our nets for a catch. That is against totally against any of the way that I reason things out. But see what Peter says. But at your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. You see, this is the important thing. Even if Peter was a bit reluctant, and even his own reasoning was getting in the way, Peter still obeyed. I can't reason it out, says Peter. I can't reason it out. Because it's night time that, uh, that we fish in the Sea of Galilee, And I can't reason it out why you're asking me in broad daylight to let down the nets. I can't reason it, but at your word, I will let down the neck. Peter obeyed. You see, my friends, obedience to the word of God for me and you is a matter of life and death. Who has believed what he asserted? The report contained in the Bible and presented in the preaching of the gospel is the wonderful story about the glorious servant of Jehovah, who through his self-humiliation and suffering on behalf of his people, even unto death, has accomplished for his people so great a salvation, and he is now exalted to such a great height of glory. But despite the fact that the message of the service, significance and work had been so eagerly presented to the people, so many still do not respond in obedience. In John chapter 12 we read, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord who has believed, And what he has heard from us, and to whom has the Adam of the Lord been revealed. Although he did many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And the writer continues with another quotation from Isaiah, to which we have already referred, as found in chapter 6 of this prophecy. Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, let they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would tell them, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, without going into too much detail, what we have here is the hardening effect of unbelief. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. You know, that's what happens when the influence of the gospel is being withdrawn by God. You may wonder what we see in our own society today, in our own nation. The sins that have been committed, even on the unborn child, they have no qualms at all in destroying a life. And we wonder why. We wonder why. We wonder why our nation's been given over to such sins as is prevalent in our day. Well, it is the influence of the gospel being withdrawn. The Spirit of God withdrawing itself from us. And man being given over to his own heart. Man being given over to his own heart. That's the hardening of the heart. We're told there in the Old Testament that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. What, What does that mean? It means that God withdrew his influence from Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart hardened. And my friend, that is what we're seeing in our day. We need once again for the Spirit of God to come. We need once again for the influence of the gospel to prevail among us. The hardening effect of unbelief. Man does what is right in his own eyes. People think that they can wait to commit themselves to Jesus. They think that at the time of their choosing they can uh, become Christians uh, when what they fail to realise is the hardening effect of unbelief on their hearts so that it will be increasingly more difficult for them to believe. You know, if you continue to go in unbelief, God can give you over to a judicial hardening of the heart, to which John says, they still did not believe in him. Although they saw the signs, they still did not believe in him. Or more striking, what we have in the authorised versions, is therefore they could not believe. And this confronts us with a very sober uh, reality that when God presents us with this report and we accept the truthfulness of the report, that we should obey the report in trusting faith. We should accept, trust, obey this report. Who has believed what he has heard from us? a continual content, a continual scorn and rejection to be obedient to the gospel, which invites us to trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. God can do as he did with the Jews of Isaiah's day. He can give us over to a judicial blindness and hardening of the heart. The hardening of the heart is just God giving you over to what your heart's desire. Who has believed what he has heard from us? It leaves us with a great reflection, a great question, why so many people are rejecting the gospel tonight? Why so many people in the district here It doesn't see any relevance whatsoever to come to hear the Word of God. They see no relevance whatsoever in the Gospel. For them, the closing of the church door would mean nothing. It wouldn't affect them in any way. Why? Because of a hardening heart. Because of a hardening heart of unbelief. And here Isaiah goes on and he says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the Adam of the Lord been revealed? He uses a very interesting image here. The Adam of the Lord. Now the Adam of the Lord is an Old Testament statement that speaks of the power of God. Speaks of the power of God. And to whom has the power of God been revealed? Well, Paul says of the Gospel, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, I am not ashamed of the report. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. But the same apostle could write to the Corinthians, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who have been saved it is the power of God. He goes on and he says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jew and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Oh, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Paul writes and he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Well, this report, the report concerning the servant, the report concerning Jesus Christ, is a power of God into salvation to all those who believe. That is why Paul was not ashamed to preach it and that's why. none none of the preachers of the gospel is ashamed to preach it although it may be rejected nevertheless they know that it is the power of God to salvation to all those who believe all who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed the servant Jesus Christ brought before us as the arm of the Lord and to whom is this revelation given well A weak person is incredibly grateful when a strong person stretches out his hand to help, who shares his strength with him. And this is how the Spirit of the Lord deals with us as sinners. When the Spirit of God is dealing with us, when the Spirit of God accompanies the word, when the Spirit of God accompanies the gospel, he reveals to us our weakness, which is due to our sinfulness, and reveals to us that we need a strong arm to help us. We need strength in order to help us. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, Paul gives us four descriptive labels of what is true of us as the recipients of God's love and grace. And one of these labels is that God loved us while we were yet weak. Or as the AV has it, while we were yet without strength. That is, we were powerless, helpless to rescue ourselves. We're powerless and uh, helpless to rescue ourselves from what our sins deserve. From what our sins deserve. We're powerless and helpless helpless to rescue ourselves from that. We cannot. We cannot do it. We cannot rescue ourselves. For we are without strength in matters of our salvation. In theological terms, it means total inability. That's what we call it in theology. Total inability. Entirely empty of any spiritual strength. Unable to understand spiritual truth. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We are, we are unable of saving ourselves from what our sins deserve. We are unable to deliver ourselves from the just and the righteous wrath of God. Yet it is for such that God sent and delivered his son. To die on the cross for those who were weak and without strength in themselves. Psalm 40 that we earlier sung tonight, he says, He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay and on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. Here the psalmist reports his deliverance with dramatic images. The distress is termed a slimy pit, literally a pit of destruction. He took me from a fearful pit, from the slimy pit, from a pit of destruction. Now, whether the psalmist have been actually been in such a pit is not the main point here. The main point is that he's been mired down in such a horrible pit of mud and mire, suggesting to us that he is in a place of depressed surroundings, complete helplessness, Maybe it's in the pit of darkened doubts, or in the pit of spiritual affliction. Whatever he is, it is distressing. And tonight, my friend, you may be in a confused state. You may be puzzled by what is happening, whether it's in the world, in our country, in our denomination, in our community, or even in our congregation, or even in our own lives. While well, out of such a situation, the Lord drew the psalmist up and set his feet on a rock, making his standing secure and directing his path. Oh friend, we are in a horrible pit. We are in a horrible pit of sin. Powerless to save ourselves. But God sends a people, to a people, this amazing report. And in this report that we have in the Gospel tonight, God reveals his arm of strength. He reveals the means that he uses in his wisdom and in his power through his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue sinners from this horrible pit of sin and what their sins deserve. Oh, this is a strong arm that can take you out of this pit. Who has believed what he has said for us? And to whom has the Adam of the Lord been revealed? The point is that God can deliver people who are sinners. Unable to free themselves from their difficulties and oppressed by their circumstances, God can give you security and confidence. The servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Adam of the Lord. He is the power and he is the wisdom of God. And tonight, even if your difficulties are the results of foolish choices that you have made, or your spiritual life is mired in sin and its consequences, the arm of the Lord stands ready to rescue you. All those who wait patiently upon the Lord, and that means an act of faith, an act of trusting, an act of trusting. Oh, what a report this is! It's a proclamation to us of what God has done about us and for us and for our salvation. No human being could could have done what he did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 and he says about a people, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Well, Isaiah says, who, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? A reminder to us, as we have already noted that all hearing of the report does not lead to faith. You can hear the report. You can accept the truthfulness of the report and still have no faith. It is offered to all. It is preached to all. But all do not believe. All do not obey the gospel. Well, how do you hear the gospel? How do you hear this report? Isaiah says that God's word will not return unto him empty or return to him void, by which he means that it will not return without producing some effect. God's word never leaves anyone the way the word found them. It will either soften the heart or it will harden the heart. It will either soften or harden. Remember that well-known parable that Jesus spoke the parable of the soul. And remember what Jesus said in the parable of the soul. He who hath ears, let him hear. Well, how do you hear? What effect has the word of God got on you? Paul speaks of the hearing of faith. Speaks there of the hearing of faith. To which it leads us to conclude that there must be two kinds of hearing. Two kinds of hearing. There is the ordinary hearing, and there is the hearing of faith. Many Christians here tonight will understand what I mean. There came a day in their experience, and they heard the gospel differently. Maybe they thought that a great change had come upon the preacher. All of a sudden, he began to be more interesting. They began to be captivated by the gospel. But what was actually happening is that by the work of the Holy Spirit, their hearing had changed. Their hearing had changed. The message was the same, but their hearing had changed from being an ordinary hearing of the message to be a hearing of faith. You may be familiar with the words of the Bible. You may have been listening to sermons now for 20, 30, 40, 50 or 60 years or more. That does not tell us anything. Are you satisfied with the mere sound of the gospel? Is it the hearing of faith? It is the hearing of faith that says. Are you just happy enough with hearing the gospel? Without having the hearing of faith? Well it's the hearing of faith that says. Has the hearing of the gospel has it led you to Faith and obedience. Remember, there's a hearing that does not. What is your own spiritual responsiveness to the word of God? Who has believed what he has heard? Promise. And to whom has the Adam of the Lord been revealed? Well, what is your own response to the gospel tonight? The word of the Lord will not leave you without affecting you in some way. It either soften your heart. It will either bring you to uh, consider your own eternal uh, destiny. It will bring you to consider your own relationship with God. The word of God does not leave anyone without some effect upon them. It will either soften your heart and make you consider your relationship with God. Or it will harden your heart. And you will go forward this night been unresponsive to the word of God well what is it this is a great message this is the greatest message that will ever be proclaimed to man that God has has provided a means through his son by which we can be saved from what our sins deserve that we can be saved from the torment of hell We can be saved through trusting in the finished work, in the atoning work, in the work of the cross that was given to us and given to us by his Son, Jesus Christ. That's a great message that we have tonight. Well, what is your response to this message? I cannot answer that for you. You will have to answer that for yourself. What is my response to God's provision for sinners? What is your response to Jesus Christ? You have to answer that for yourself. I may never know your answer, but there is one that will know. And that is a personal interaction between yourself and your God. May the Lord bless our thoughts, Let us pray. Eternal and ever-blessed Lord, we give thanks to thee tonight for that great report, that great gospel, the message of the gospel that thou hast uh, given uh, to us. And we pray, O Lord, that our response to that gospel would be such that we would come and to commit ourselves uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, And to have that assurance that in him that our sins and what our sins deserve has been dealt with. That the ransom price has been paid and that we are free. And if the Son does make us free, then we are free indeed. We pray, O Lord, that the influence of the gospel may once more become among us and be prevalent among us. That a people would come once again to consider their own relationship with God, that the people would come under conviction of sin, that the people would see their great need, that the people would come in repentance and seek the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that thy spirit would visit us in a day of thine own power, and all that we ask with for the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.